Hello, and welcome to Milwaukee Rep's Community Conversations podcast. My name is Courtney McInary, and I'm the Director of Community Engagement here at the Rep. Each season, we invite dozens of community leaders to connect the stories on our stages with the stories of Milwaukee through a series of panel discussions. These discussions are a part of our Community Conversations series dedicated to Milwaukee Rep's mission of igniting positive change through world-class theater that inspires meaningful dialogue. You can attend these panel discussions by checking out our events calendar online at milwaukeerep.com. All Community Conversations events are free and open to the public. Or you can join us from the comfort of your home as we stream the panels on Facebook Live. You can also do what you're doing right now and listen in afterwards via our Community Conversations podcast. Hi, this is Nebra Nelson, the Community Engagement Associate at Milwaukee Rep. Today's panel is on the topic of the future of elder care and is presented in conjunction with our performance of One House Over. The panelists who join us for this discussion are Bill Munier, Project Assistant for the Senior Companion Program at the Social Development Commission, Hector Hernandez, Program Director for Elder Programs at the United Community Center, Stephanie Sue Stein, Chairperson of the Board of St. John's on the Lake, and former Director of the Milwaukee County Department on Aging, and Angela Fingard, Theater Director, Project Manager, and Master Trainer of Time Slips Creative Storytelling. And it was moderated by yours truly. Enjoy. All right, thank you all so much for staying. Um, we're so thrilled to um, have our last panel of the season and to have you all here for, for this. Today we'll be talking about the future of elder care. Uh, in this play, we see one depiction of an older man, although the play itself is a lot about the care around him. Um, however, we know that there are a lot of different experiences of aging. So how is the character of Milos similar to or different from the populations that you work with? Thank you. First of all, thank you all for staying. And it's really nice to have uh, people out on a late night on a weeknight. And Nabra, thank you very much for inviting all of us here. Um, so Milos's depiction, uh, he seemed very you know, crotchety and upset. Um, I think that's a stereotype. A lot of people that I meet are um, beautiful and warm and loving. The one thing that was absolutely true is he, um, the people I work with do not like to be infantilized. They want what they want. They've lived a very full life, and nothing's changed in that regard. Um, so I thought that was pretty similar. Okay. Hi, my name is Hector Hernandez, and I think that I just realized that there is a lot of similitudes that I uh, find here. For example, I come from Guadalajara, I'm Mexican, uh. first of all, and my last name is Hernandez, as the caregiver character as well. So. <laughs> Besides that, uh, first of all, uh, is uh, his name Milos. Well, he's not a Latino. He's not a Latino like most of the clients that we serve in the Latino community. And uh, I think that he speaks pretty well English. And most of my people, the orators that we serve, they are mostly Spanish speaking. And that's probably a, a barrier that they have to to have access to different uh, services than every other one else can have. Um, there were some very similarities. Uh, you know, I didn't like the way they treated him like a child, and we often see that among the elderly, not just from children, but also from other elders who think because you're a little bit less advanced than I am, you're a little bit less mobile than I am, I can talk to you like you're a child. And I, I see that in senior centers and at meal sites, I'm sure you have too. 
Um, but one, one di difference is, and one thing I noticed too was, it seemed like he was kind of a prisoner in his own home. And that's true of a lot of elders. Um, they cannot leave, they cannot go anywhere. Um, just as his caretakers seemed to, were talking about how they were prisoners. They couldn't leave the country, they couldn't drive, there were certain things they couldn't do either. So there was a great similarity there. But the one thing that he has that um, most people we deal with don't have is he had people around him. And folks don't realize this, but here in Milwaukee, almost, I, I know Stephanie's department did a survey a few years ago, and almost half of our elders say they can't leave their homes or apartments on their own, either because they're afraid of the, na the neighborhood they're in or even just the stairs. And it's hard to understand, but you know, some of our clients tell us, we have senior companions with them and tell us, without the companion, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere because I couldn't get down the stairs. And in some cases, we're talking just two or three stairs because they have balance problems, because uh, their knees are giving out, because they have arthritis. You know, the other, the other difference is that he seemed to be in a middle-class neighborhood and fairly well off. A lot of our elders here in Milwaukee, every day, have a problem finding enough money to eat. And when we think about poverty, we we'll often think about you know, families with younger children and how terrible that is. But it's equally terrible when you have someone who worked their whole life, um, who's had to retire around a meager social security that the feds are now talking about cutting, um, and, you know, and they don't have enough to eat. They have to choose between eating or medications or things that we often think about the elderly, oh, they have those pensions and they have social security and there's so much money. It simply isn't true. And probably about a third to 40% of the elders in this, in this county or in the city of Milwaukee are below the poverty line. And that was a big difference between what I saw here and the people that we, do, we deal with. Well, do I have to say anything else after Bill? <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's one Miloš and there's uh, one family involved there and uh, in all of our lives, we know people who are involved with caregiving and being caregivers and it's rough, rough situations. It's also beautiful situations. It's also people who um, enjoy very much spending their time uh, with older people and, and learning from them and being with them. So um, there are tens of thousands of people in our community who are dependent on someone else um, for their food, for going to the bathroom, uh, for getting some gin, for, <laughs> for eating a pizza, for telling their daughter, I'm 90, I can eat a pizza if I want to eat a pizza. <laughs> there are tens of thousands of people like that, and some of them have beautiful relationships, and some of them are very troubled. And this one, when you throw in culture and immigration and fear and everything else, was really something. I've never seen uh, this exact relationship, so I was glad to see it at the theater. And isolation is a big problem. There's, there's been a number of studies done, particularly recently, where researchers have said now that being socially isolated, um, which is something Milos wasn't, but being socially isolated is actually a bigger health challenge than smoking and obesity combined. 
um, that our, our minds do control a lot about our health. You know, and we always say, well, we don't really care what other people think, but let's face it, we do. And when you get to be 85 or 90 and the phone isn't ringing and no one's coming over anymore, you start to wonder about your life choices. And you heard that with his daughter, but it's even more magnified when you're older and you start wondering, what did I do wrong? Why don't I have any friends anymore? Why isn't anybody coming over anymore? Why don't my children visit me anymore? Um, I can think of one of our clients, her name was Pat, and all of her children had moved away um, and we got her a senior companion. And when um, she was, actually she lived up the street from my mom, and my mom said, you know, for years she wasn't going around the neighborhood till we got her that companion. Just knowing that somebody gave a damn and was coming by every week made a huge difference in her life. And after Pat died, I remember her daughter telling me, she said, Bill, she said, um, and her daughter was a friend, I mean, we grew, up, we grew up together. She said, you know, when my mom had her car stolen, we had all booked flights. We were coming to Milwaukee. We were going to close up the house. She obviously couldn't take care of herself. Um, and her doctor told us it would be, maybe she'd have six months to a year. He said, you got her that senior companion. He said, and everything seemed to change. He said, and she said, you know, the doctor said she had six months to a year. She said, that was eight years ago. You know, it made such a huge difference in her life, and we often forget that. Even if it's just a little phone call to that person that you haven't talked to for a while, that can mean a huge, huge thing in their life. It can really pick them up and make them feel better about themselves. Yes. Something that probably I would like to in, in put in, in in our Latino community is something uh, pretty common that the, the, the son, the daughter, they take care of the loved ones, and it is... Uh, some of the, I think, the high values that like, exist in the Latino community. So it is like an honor for us to take care of our pa uh, father or mother and uh, choose for payback when they uh, take care of you when you were a child. That's a really good point. Um, Bill, I'm glad you brought up social, social isolation. I saw that study too. Um, it's equivalent to 15 cigarettes a day, worse than um, obesity and activity, binge drinking. Um, and uh, with Time Slips, we did a community um, art project. It was, called Cro it was called Islands of Milwaukee because we were thinking of all the people who are isolated within Milwaukee. And we connected with the Department on Aging. We connected with um, UWM. We connected with Meals on Wheels and Goodwill and all of these partnerships. And what we found was um, with Meals on Wheels, we'd send out these creative questions, a question of the day, so that they could have something to respond to. We'd take it back and we'd share it with the greater community. And through these, com these um, relationships that we developed, we found that one of the biggest problems about getting out of the house was also their fear of crossing the street. And we identified three um, pedestrian uh, intersections that were dangerous for pedestrians that were near senior buildings. And we created what we called the crossings. And it's, um, you know, we have the guardrails that come down near the bridges and the ships come through and then the guardrails go back up, but it's a very clear sign. This is when you stop, pay attention. So we created these guardrails and we did it at these uh, dangerous intersections and we invited civic leaders, neighborhood um, community leaders and uh, students and we had so many people come out and it, was, it had made a huge impact. We had the guardrails go down, we had people go through the mass and the sails and we had signs and we passed out flyers just for, you know, we have their attention for 15 seconds there and we passed out this little information and one of the intersections was in Cudahy, and the mayor of Cudahy came out, 
fully able-bodied, and he was Im he couldn't believe how long um, how quickly he had to move to get across the street. The light change the light was changed by the next week. <laughs> It's so great to hear about some of the innovations that you all are doing in, in elder care. Um, and thinking about the name of the panel, what is the future of elder care? How do you see systems or philosophies about elder care changing? Um, it's such a big question. Um, in my seven and a half years of working with Time Slips, um, Time Slips is, uh, works at the intersection of arts and healthcare. We do a lot of training of people who um, t people who are caregivers, both personal and professional, and we teach them tech, uh, theater techniques, typically based in improv. Anybody who's familiar with improv, they know the phrase "yes and," which means you kind of you live in the present. You take what your scene partner gives you, you say yes, and you add to it. We do the same thing. We say yes to the people that we're working with, um, the, and. Um, and we add to it, we validate whatever they are giving us in that moment and we stay present with them. So we've been teaching these techniques and in the seven and a half years that I've been working with time slips, I have noticed a shift in how people view arts and healthcare. They don't view it as a one hour a week programming, they're actually starting to view it as um, an additional tool for healthcare that's above and beyond pharmacology or um, you know, seeking um, medical help. So I think that um, there, are, there are some, some advances, but um, we certainly have a long way to go. But having this conversation is a great, great start or a great uh, addition to it. So thank you again for putting this together. Thank you. Yeah, I think that having these kind of conversations uh, educate more our community. Uh, I think that they, we have nowadays better resources I can mention, for example, a, a family care, long-term care plan for a, a low-income senior. That's something that is really, really impacting their, in their health. And um, what else? Uh, I think that disseminate this information helps to, um, to know more about what their needs are, are in, in an older adult and continue working and advocate for their rights, for better services for them. I agree, and you know, Stephanie here started family care. Um, it's now a national program. Every state has a version of it. And you know, um, and, and, and so I guess I would just defer to her to tell us what the future is because she did such a wonderful job of that. And because of her, there literally are hundreds of thousands of seniors from coast to coast who are able to live in their homes with dignity. And that's quite an accomplishment. Thank you, Bill. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I've been working in the field of elder care for over 40 years and seen huge changes, including <clears throat> thousands of businesses and industries grown up because there's now a lot of money. We convince the government to spend their money in different ways to help people stay at home, and therefore lots of businesses grew. Um, and so I think the future involves all of us understanding that older people are um, a valuable part of our community and that they give a great deal more than they ever take and that this aging of America is a very good thing individually and as a whole um, because it, it makes the whole fabric 
of our society richer. I'm afraid that uh, without older people, we wouldn't have any fish fries, uh, church fish fries in Milwaukee or uh, holy name societies. And I'm wondering what's going to happen to all the Kiwanis and lions and uh, AMVETs um, unless we understand that all of us need that kind of companionship and need to be givers and need to be part of our society. So I'm, I'm hopeful and I think uh, a lot of us elders who were little radicals when we were in college have a whole new opportunity <laughs> to be radical again and isn't it great? It's wonderful, so great. I'm happy really about that. that. <laughs> Senior power, right? <laughs> um, so we have a, a time for a few questions from the audience. Does anyone have questions for the panelists? Uh, is anything done with intergenerational? Yeah. Can you all talk about your intergenerational work? Yes, in fact, um, St. Anne's um, Center for Intergenerational Care, they, they just opened up a new center on 24th and North, they opened about a year and a half ago, where they're actually mixing a daycare center with a senior adult daycare center and memory care all in one, and um, so there are some things that are going on. I know Hector has some things going on. Why don't you talk about the stuff you have going on, because I know you have some great programs there. Thank you, yeah, we have a big, a big uh, plus that we have a big school close to our programs. So for us, it's, it's been so easy to have access with the children and new generations, and pretty often we plan a lot of activities, intergenerational activities, where the older adults spend a lot of time with kids. And I think that this makes more strength the relations with the new generation and older adults, and definitely helps to to consolidate what uh, like a family uh, or concept of family is in the Latino community. Um, we do training at um, long-term care nursing homes, and whenever we apply for a grant, part of the grant is requesting funding for stipends for students. Um, and right now we have at UWM um, five artists in residence who are staying in nursing homes within the Milwaukee area. Um, we are working in Kentucky right now and same thing over the next few years. We're recruiting um, university students, recent graduates to be able to be connected. Uh, we also always encourage um, the um, people who are facilitating our programming to be able to connect to their community partners uh, of school, kids of all ages. And what will often happen is uh, the elders will create a story, they'll send it to the school, the children might draw a picture of it and send it back, and they sort of uh, develop this um, pen pal type relationship. Um, so yes, we absolutely use our programming to um, bring different generations together. Almost forgot at SVC we have a program called Foster Grandparent Program where we use elderly volunteers who go into the schools and mentor children who are having difficulty, who are at risk, um, help them with their reading and math skills and their writing skills, and sometimes just listen to the problems that the kids are going through and give them some good advice. My, my history tells me that that's, that's the best thing ever. Hmm. They all need a mentor. Yes. Yeah. And the teenagers need it as much as anyone else. Yes. Mm -hmm. They are very at risk in a flow. Yeah. And for those did, that didn't hear, the, um, she was saying that in her work, in her extensive work as well with youth, um, that that intergenerational work seems to be crucial. I, 
and we have are going to have two students, and we had one last year. Oh, wonderful. And it is, um, so it's not just little kids, the college students and the yeah. influence I know our residents had on Thorin last year. Oh, wonderful. Um, is remarkable. So mm -hmm. I think that is maybe not so innovative, but really important work, and really hope to continue to see that funded. Yeah. And I think seniors sharing their life experiences with the younger uh, folks. One of the things we did at SDC was for Martin Luther King Day, we had seniors who had grown up down south come in and talk to teens about their experience growing up down south. And I tell you, those kids were flabbergasted at what they heard. Um, you know, one of the seniors talked about how they didn't know her mother had epilepsy till they got to Milwaukee because there were no clinics who would treat a black person. Uh, I remember one woman got up and she said, you know, she said, I'm not going to tell you how to walk uphill in snowstorms both ways to school, but I had to walk uphill one way, she said, and I had to walk six miles to go to the only school in our county that I could go to. And she's like, and you people have buses coming to pick you up? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, you're not, and you don't want to go. Um, but talking about things like how they would have to walk with their heads down, and if someone came up and asked a question, it would have to be yes, sir, or no, ma'am, or you'd get slapped. And the kids were like, oh, I'd call the police. Well, the police are standing there egging them on. Um, and so, you know, those life experiences need to be shared, um, no matter what they were, no matter where you were, um, you know, to understand progress has been made. So, you know, so people don't get so frustrated and think it's never going to get any better. It's important that they understand it has gotten better in a lot of ways, um, even if it's not perfect. We have a question from Facebook Live, so read that out. Oh, <laughs> Uh, so it says, when I think back on years past and the practice of having multi-generations under one roof, which many cultures still practice, do you believe that this will become more of a necessity in the near future, and what will be the impact on the older generation and the younger? Great. For, so a Facebook Live question. Um, we, we used to see a lot of multi-generational homes. Do you all see that to, uh, to come back um, in the future? So... Facebook Live has just hit on one of my pet peeves, and that is that I think a great deal of multi-generational homes had to do with poverty. You know, I think of the Waltons living up on top of that mountain, and nobody could have sex very loud because there were curtains between the rooms, and, you know, Grandma and Grandpa and John Boy and the kids and... Everybody really didn't want to all be living in that house, but they were poor, and they knew they needed to take care of each other. And when immigrant families come here in all kinds of cultures, they are poor, and they live together. And as they get some resources, they get to make different decisions about how they want to live. So at the end of that question, there was a little tease about, do you think people are going to be forced to do that, um, I don't know. And clearly we can do it. We are a resilient society. We can figure out how to help each other if we need to, but I'm all for people having choices about their space and their lives and who they want taking care of them and how they want to be treated and, um, and for nobody living in enforced poverty, and people should have choices, no matter their age. All right, if there are no more questions, are, are there any other comments that you'd like to add from the panel? 
oftentimes when I tell people what I do, um, they ask uh, for advice for a loved one. So I'll give you a very quick little um, tool technique that you can use if you're working with somebody who's living with dementia um, or other brain disorders. Um, next time you pass by a window with them, look out the window and ask some sensorial questions, open-ended. What do you think, what do you hear, uh, what sounds are occurring outside? What do you see? Um, what do you think it smells like out there? And then you can, um, for those who are nonverbal, you can ask them for movement. You can say, I think it's springtime. The leaves might un be unfurling soon. Do you want to be spring with me? And there's all these different things you can do just by having these simple moments. And it goes back to reducing social, social isolation when you have meaningful bonds that are based on something other than caregiver-patient relationship. Thank you so much. Um. Little things do make a difference like that. You know, my mother has Alzheimer's. And every Tuesday, I take her to the movies. Um, and she's pretty far advanced. She doesn't remember my name. She'll call up and say, who is this? And I'll say, who are you calling? And then she'll say, you tell me who you are, and I'll tell you if I'm calling you. Uh, you know, so she'll say, this is Marianne. And I go, yeah, I know. You're my mom. Um, and, but she remembers Tuesday movies. She'll still call on Tuesdays and say, are we going to the movies? What time are you coming? Are we going to dinner first? You know, and I had a bit of a cold, so I couldn't come yesterday. But my partner, Carl, there, he, he took them to the movies. And, um, you know, so I was very grateful for that because it means so much to her. So if you have elders out there, grandparents, aunts, uncles, give them a call. Don't have to spend a whole lot of time on the phone, perhaps. But you'd be surprised how that can lift their spirits knowing that somebody did that, knowing that somebody cared. I mean, you, we, can, we can put in housekeepers and meals on wheels and everything else, but the elderly look at that as people who are there because they're being paid to be there. You know, somebody who calls because they want to be a friend, that is something that is very rare in many people's cases. And you'd be surprised. You might think, oh, well, they're so busy. They have their senior centers and everything else, but they're never going to be too busy to hear from you and hear some expression of caring and friendship and love from you. And buy people kolaches, not cashmere blankets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's real good. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, panelists, so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this Community Conversations panel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media with the hashtag MILWREP to let us know your thoughts. We hope to see you at the Rep or on Facebook Live for the next dialogue, but if you aren't able to be there, you can always find our most recent panel discussions here on the Community Conversations podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, there are more ways to get involved with the Rep. You can attend a community dinner, come to a post-show dialogue facilitated by the Zeidler Center for Public Discussion, or you can dive into the artistic process yourself during our community workshops. Visit our website at milwaukeerep.com and click on the Engage and Learn tab for more information. Until then, stay engaged.